In his book, The Tyranny of the Urgent, the author there admonishes us to don't allow the urgent to take the place of the important. In this rat race world in which we live, many say, I don't have enough time to accomplish all that I'd like to. It reminds me of the little boy who complained to his mother that his father never had enough time for him to play with him, to be with him. And his mother explained, your father is a very busy and important man, and he doesn't have enough time at work to finish his work at the office, so he has to bring it home. And his son, puzzled, said, then why don't they put him in the slower class? Don't you wish you could be in the slower class sometimes? The truth is, we all have the same 24 hours, and yet there are some that accomplish so much more in that same amount of time than us. And why is that? I want to share with you this morning a way of organizing your life that I think will help you achieve your goals. And it's in four words. The first word is purpose. Rick Warren wrote a very famous book about that, The Purpose-Driven Life. Dr. Bill Bright was the president of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. Anyone who heads up a major ministry is going to be busy, and he sure was. But I love how he closed all his correspondence. He said in every letter, yours, for fulfilling the Great Commission in this generation. He obviously knew his purpose, and he was all about it. Every letter reminded him of that. You don't become great by doing lots of trivial things reasonably well. This is the day the Lord has made. Today. How you spend your day is how you're going to spend your life. You have been created for a purpose. You have a reason for living at this time and this place. So do you know your life's purpose? Reminds me of the couple traveling through the countryside, and they really didn't know where they were, and so they asked an old man sitting alongside the road where they were. And he asked them, well, do you know where you're going? And they said, no. And he said, then it doesn't matter where you're at. You've heard that. When we don't know where we're going, then where we're at today isn't as important. But when we know our purpose, when we know where we're going, then we can truly focus. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. And parents, you have a major role in that with your children, helping them, guiding them toward their purpose. As you know, I'm an Ohio State Buckeye football fan. And recently, one of their players, the quarterback, C.J. Stroud, was drafted second into the NFL draft. And on a day he was sharing with the reporters, I just wanted to share with you the words he said. He said, I want to come up with a couple of foundations to help kids. I want to help single mothers, people whose parents are incarcerated, all the things that I went through. So I want to be a helping hand because I feel like football is just my passion. It's not really my purpose. 
My purpose is to help others. And I think God has blessed me with the capability to do both. So I'm really inspired to do that. I like that. You know, God has a purpose. Ephesians 1, 10 and 11 says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I think Jesus expressed his purpose in John 17, 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do on the cross. Paul said in a couple of places, he describes his purpose. First in Philippians, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians, he says, we proclaim him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. The writer Luke, in writing the book of Acts, says this of David, Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, and that's also you and I, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Jesus had only three years to fulfill God's ministry. If you only had three years that you knew to fulfill God's ministry in your life, you'd be very intentional, wouldn't you? Do you have a mission or purpose statement? I've written one, and every ten years or so, I'll update it or any major transition in my life. And Tom Crawford was uh, always famous for expressing his. I don't know if he ever called it a mission or purpose statement, but, but he said, I want to get to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. I think that's a pretty good mission statement. A second word is priorities. Once we know our life's purpose, then we can begin to prioritize because priorities come out of purpose. We all have them. Some of our priorities are more important than others. I think of life like a grocery store. If you go in a grocery store, there's so many items. You can't possibly buy them all and eat them all. So we have to be selective and we have to choose. Our time, our resources, our energy is limited. We must prioritize. If we don't make a grocery list, we can just walk into the grocery store and buy a lot of foolish things that we don't really need. So if I don't prioritize my life, the urgent is always going to eat up the important. Priorities are decisions between right and right, not right and wrong. And they flow out of your life's purpose. Generally speaking, for me, and I really think for every believer... It encompasses this passage, Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The big two, as I like to call them. Loving God, loving people. So how do I love God? Jesus tells us in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. Sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? Keep commandments. It isn't. Because remember, Jesus said this in John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Abiding, being in him, getting to know him better. He supplies then the power for us to obey. So walking with God daily, that's your first priority. Then we're to love others. If you're married, that's your spouse. In Ephesians 5.25, the husbands are admonished to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, I think they're wired more to love their husbands. And so the word that Paul gives to them is to respect their husband. Later on in that chapter, for children, their, their priorities are and purpose to, to obey their parents. Loving our friends, that's pretty easy because we like them, at least most of the time. How about loving my enemy? Matthew 5, but I say, do you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Wow, to love my enemies, I'm going to need God's strength for that one. How do we love them? We love by serving. John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think that's the best way that we witness of our faith in Christ is through our loving acts of service to them, friend and foe alike. I think that's what really gets their attention and impresses them and opens a door for us then to share our faith. So these two commands that Jesus said to love God and love others, that's our most urgent priority for life because they have eternal value. They'll last forever. To use our first and best time of the day for God and people and then other Worthy priorities will fall in line next. The truth be told, for many of us, 
those priorities are further down the list, aren't they? And we place other less worthy things above them. Dale Carnegie writes of a man, his toothache means more to him than a famine in Africa that kills a million people. A pimple on his neck interests him more than 40 earthquakes in China. Our lives can be awfully self-centered. The spiritual life is the most important thing about us and not just one more aspect to our lives that we add on. So I need to bridge my spiritual life into my life in the world and see it as a singular life, not compartmentalize that I have my church life over here and my quiet time and I have my work and I have my school. No, it's all one life. My life is in Christ and it's supposed to flow out into the world. My spiritual life, my purpose, all of life is the spiritual life. Priorities, then, are God and people. A third word for us to consider is the word plans. So we have a mission statement, a purpose statement. We have some idea of the purpose for our lives, the reason why we're here. We've set our priorities in place. Love God, love people. I've got to be about that, doing that. Now, some things are going to go up on my list and some things are going to go off. So how do I set my plans? How do I know God's plan for my life? Here's how it goes for me. I often tell God what I'm going to do. And then God responds. I beg him to let me do it anyway. Eventually, I humble myself and I listen to him. And then he tells me what he's going to do or what he's going to do through me and then invites me to join him in it. So let's look at that through Proverbs chapter 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So I usually start by telling the Lord what I'm going to do. You see that in verse 1a, the plans of the heart belong to man. We have our plans and the word plan means careful arrangement. So we put all our ducks in a row. We, we think comprehensively and thoroughly about something. And so we have a plan of what we're going to do. And a made up mind is almost impossible to change. We say, why bother God with my plans? He's got a lot on his mind with world conflicts and all. Rather than waste his time, I think I'll just go ahead with my plans and I'll catch him up on them later. Have you ever done that? God responds to me. Wait just a minute, Ed. In 1B, it says the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So God responds. He always has the last word in our lives. So what happens to my plans? If I've run ahead of the Lord, I'm going to wind up in the deep weeds. And God says to me, what are you doing over there? What's going on? 
So then I beg God to let me do it anyway. In verse two, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit or the word spirit can also be motives. The Lord weighs our motives. I say, please, God, let me succeed. Let her go out with me. Let me get that job. And you know what? Sometimes God lets us have our way. And when God lets us have our way in our own plans, that's usually a sign that a big lesson is about to come down the pike for me. But sometimes God is gracious and he puts the brakes on my plans immediately so I don't get into all that kind of trouble because he knows my motives. Then I give over my plan to the Lord and I just say, Lord, your will be done. Why don't you change my plan or give me a new plan? And we see that in verse three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You know, the famous commit your plans verse Proverbs three, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And that, that word commit means to roll onto. So I roll up my plans onto God. I say, God. Why don't you do the heavy lifting? And I usually do that after my plan is flopped. I feel bad. I have a little pity party. And I tell you, over the years, I've been amazed at God's mercy and grace toward me and my knuckleheaded plans. It truly humbles me how loving and kind he is to us, his children. Even when we get ahead of him. Even when we've blown it, so often he comes along and he redeems that and he brings good out of the mess I made. But then he encourages me to wait. And we see that in verse four. The Lord has made everything for his purpose. He tells us what he's going to do or do through us. So we must listen. Spend time with him in prayer. And it's there that a sense of his plan begins to develop in your mind. In Isaiah 30, verse 21, it says, And your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. We see an example of that in the early church in Acts 15, 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, but it also seemed good to us. Now, this process can take a while. This is where it's tempting to get out ahead of God, but you don't want to do that. You, you want to wait until you have a peace before you move forward. So I'm learning ever so slowly to abide in him and find his will rather than just make my plans. Because pursuing the wrong plans that are outside God's will are a big time waster. You're going to wind up making laps around the mountain for 40 years. God is always gracious in giving us enough time to accomplish his will and purpose. You have enough time. That's not the problem. It's just using that time better. Our fourth word is decisions. I know my purpose. My priorities are set for me in the word of God, and I've sought God for his plan. But I must make decisions to enact or fulfill God's plan for my life. I like what Garfield says. My pet peeve is people who never finish what they start. So I'm not like that. My philosophy is never to start anything. 
I think we can be Garfield. That our fear of failure or our fear of people can hold us back from moving forward. We could be, because of past mistakes, become frozen and not want to move ahead. So we are going to need faith in this life. But I am convinced that we do exactly what we've decided to do. I think we're the sum total of our decisions. And I don't like the sound of that, and maybe you don't either. And I found that not making a decision is also making a decision. My, my kids play is at 7 o'clock, and I find that I'm on the phone with a business person at 7.05. I can get mad at the guy who called, but I'm the one that picked up the phone and took the call. And so there are repercussions for our decisions. Learning to make good decisions, man, it's an unsure science. But I have learned this. If you can avoid making the really bad, dumb decisions, you're really a far ahead of the game. Let me show you that from Scripture. Let's read Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So this is the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Satan tempted Jesus to make three bad decisions, and he will tempt us the same way. The first temptation you see in verse three was to command the stones to be made bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. And Jesus answers him by quoting scripture in verse four, that man does not live by bread alone. So the principle I take from there is the Bible. Jesus quoted scripture three times. So the Bible is such a helpful and useful guide to us in decision making. And if the Bible clearly forbids something that I'm about to make a decision to do, then I know that's not God's will. I'm making a bad decision. Reading, meditating on and applying scripture will help you tremendously in decision making. The second temptation found in verse six for Jesus to throw himself off the temple. And then Satan quotes scripture there. He knows scripture. He's so cunning and deceptive. And that's where he can uh, get you to fall too. Jesus responds in verse seven. Don't test God. The principle, don't put yourself in a position where you need a miracle to bail you out. 
don't make God have to save you from your next dumb decision. He might or he might not. Once again, there's consequences for our decisions. The third temptation in verse 9 is where Satan promises Jesus the world if he'll only bow down and worship him. It's quick here. Verse 10, Jesus tells Satan to beat it. He's only going to worship God. And the principle is to avoid decisions that reduce the worship of God or the service of God. Forget the world's phony gods. Worship the one true God. Decisions that get my focus off God or godly things, I'm going to avoid those things. I know they're wrong. Let me close by recounting and reading an excerpt from an episode of The Twilight Zone. Martin in the story is 36 years old. And he's the vice president of an ad agency. He's an extremely successful man, but by this point in his life, he's completely burnt out. So he drives from New York City and he intends to go back to his hometown. And he gets about a mile and a half away and, and he has to get gas and he needs his car serviced. So he decides to walk the rest of the way, the mile and a half to his hometown. When he gets to his hometown, you know how the Twilight Zone works. Everything changes. And he went back into time. And the town was the same town as when he was a boy. So he finally he finds his parents and he tries to tell them that he's their son, Martin. But they don't believe him because he's this grown man and they think he's crazy. Then he sees himself as a boy of 11 years old. And he tries to tell that boy himself just enjoy life now. Get all out of life that you possibly can. But he only ends up frightening him. And the little boy himself at age 11 falls off the merry-go-round and breaks his leg. He meets up with his dad again, who is convinced it's really him because of identification in his wallet and the fact that Martin limps. And so his dad and him have a conversation. And it goes something like this. Father, Martin... You have to leave here. There's no room. There's no place. Do you understand that? Martin says, I see that now, but I don't completely understand. Why must I leave? His father says, I guess because we only get one chance. Maybe there's only one summer to every customer. That little boy, the one I know, the one who belongs here. This is his summer, just as it was yours once. Don't make him share it. And Martin bitterly says, all right. And his father asked Martin, is it so bad where you come from? And he said, I thought so, Pop. I've been living a dead run and I was tired. Then one day I knew I had to come back here. I had to come back and get on a merry-go-round and eat cotton candy and listen to a band concert to stop and breathe and close my eyes and smell and listen his dad says, I guess we all want that. Maybe when you go back, Martin, you'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you. Try looking ahead. Let's pray. Lord, I think so many of us 
or like Martin, we're just burned out on work and school and life and all the decisions that have frazzled us rather than really focusing on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing. Lord, I pray that today you would do a great work by your spirit in hearts today that we would focus on our purpose, our reason why we're here and form our priorities around loving you and others and seek you for your plans for our life and then make good and godly decisions. Help us, Lord, to do what pleases you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.
try this and see how this goes. Okay, I think it's okay. Notice on your way out, look on the wall up above the doors. Okay, that's our commission today. Jesus is commissioning us as well as the original 12. Lord, as we leave this place and go on to uh, the potluck to enjoy food and fellowship together in you, we thank you for this morning that we could be together and just get our focus again back to where it needs to be on you and fulfilling the great commission so each of us we may not be going overseas but we're going down the street or across town and there's a mission field for us may we fulfill it this week lord i pray that you would live through us in jesus name